0: Good morning and welcome to Thursday morning, April the 20th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we continue year A in the third Sunday of Easter, and on the Thursday of the week, I'd like to take a look at the New Testament letter passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary, this week of the church's calendar year. And so we find ourselves like last week in the book of 1 Peter, still in chapter 1, but we'll jump ahead to verses 17 through 23. So let me read that passage. About a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning and when our eyes, let's allow our souls to rise, and meet God together in a time of prayer. First Peter chapter one verses seventeen through twenty-three. Since you call upon a Father who judges all people according to their actions without favoritism. You should conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your dwelling in a strange land live in this way knowing that you are not liberated by perishable things like silver or gold from the empty lifestyle you inherited from your ancestors instead you are liberated by the precious blood of christ like that of a flawless spotless lamb christ was chosen before the creation of the world but was only revealed at the end time this was done for you who through Christ though Christ who through Christ are faithful to the God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So now your faith and hope should rest in God. As you set yourselves apart by your obedience to the truth, so that you may might have a genuine affection for your fellow believers, love each other deeply and earnestly. Do this because you have been given new birth, not from the type of seed that decays, but from seed that doesn't. This seed is God's life-giving and enduring word. This is the word of God for us. First off, apologies for stumbling through that passage a little bit. Um, it's kind of weird, but I, whenever I'm recording, I'm at the stand-up desk in my new office, which is great. So I kind of hold the Bible behind the microphone so that I've got a pretty good angle to record. And the Bible that I have is like super heavy study Bible. So it's kind of awkward to hold up straight like that. And then um, sometimes like this Bible that I'm using, the columns are super wide. I don't know what it is, but whenever I'm reading aloud, like particularly scripture aloud, kind of like the smaller columns, right? So that your eyes can kind of go from line to line instead of across this long page. So enough of the excuses. Um, but that's just a you know disclaimer for the day. So um, mucho forgiveness requested there. What can we say about First Peter? I think he's doing a couple of different things here. This is a general letter. It's going to be passed around to many different Christian groups. And it seems like he's trying to lay down some tracks for the rest of the letter, including like trying to give people an incentive to follow Jesus, right? And that incentive to follow Jesus is not in a vacuum. Uh, Peter understands that these people... Are suffering a lot uh, because of their faith in Christ. Uh, we, I think we hinted that last week. It's only sampled a little bit here, but it's going to come into full force in chapter two and following. And so, as people are trying to weigh the option at the crossroad, like should I, you know, act in one way that will, you know, make me like able to escape a little bit of, of trial, suffering, you know, social currency depletion, whatever. Um, or should I continue to follow the Lord, even though it comes at a risk, the risk of maybe um, some social currency falling, maybe even some affliction of some sort? Uh, worst case scenario is suffering. Absolute worst case scenario would be donating one's life because of their faith's cause. And so Peter is going to have a big ask here soon. And so he's laying down a couple of elements of his ask early on because I think he's just um, pretty skilled at a, being a preacher and a rhetorician. I think he says that uh, you know the thing that you were purchased with uh, wasn't uh, very cheap; like it was the cost, costly, you know, gift of God sending His only Son. It reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his famous lines about cheap grace versus costly grace. He said, "There's no cheap grace in Christianity." It's always costly because it costs God His only Son. And so Peter samples that a little bit here in this passage. Um, he also talks about how, like, there's an effect in the salvation. Like, this is the salvation that you and I have embraced is not just something that gets us down the road uh, in the next season of life, but the but the efficacy of this faith is everlasting. Like, it's going to not just console us in the moment, but it's going to be something that's going to feed our souls. For ages upon ages. And that's being revealed. I mean, it was something that was chosen early um, before the foundations of the world, but it's been uncovered and it's been revealed in this time. And because of that, we are actually getting in on the ground floor of the great rescue mission story, this wonderful grand narrative where God is rescuing all of humanity. And because of our faith in Christ, we get on the the entry-level floor, and we get to grow with it as it continues to go uh, to the ends of the earth. And so Peter's trying to implore the people, like, remain faithful. Um, He needs to understand that they're going to have a unique spot in culture. They're going to be, he's going to say it in a more clear way in the the next chapter, Resident Aliens. Makes me think of the Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon classic book called uh, Resident Aliens, where uh, Christians just kind of had this interesting way about them early on. Um, they were just like the rest of the Roman Empire. They went, they had jobs, they had families, um, they had social, civic responsibilities, but they were also distinct from uh, the Roman culture and other different worshiping groups and sectarian uh, groups out there. Uh, they worshiped a crucified and resurrected Galilee and named Jesus from Nazareth. Um, it must have been a stumbling block for many. It must have been absurdity to others. And so they had this unique thing where Peter and the rest of the early church, at least at this point, they said, it is advantageous for us to remain in the city. It's advantageous for us to remain on the roster of citizenship as long as possible. Uh, to be people of peace, uh, to suffer alongside other marginalized groups, but to remain in the city, remain around uh, groups of people, so that when, other, when people come uh, cu- you know, curious about our conclusions, when they begin asking questions about our way of life, we'll be in proximity to them to give an answer. It's only in the third and fourth and fifth centuries that Christians find it necessary to remove themselves and to create monastic communities. Out in the wilderness in order to train themselves as spiritual athletes, but for the first several generations, it was just understood: you're going to be a resident alien. You're going to choose a distinct way of life, and you're also going to choose to dwell among those who don't agree with you, which is a message that is fresh for us today. Uh, American Christians, uh, if you're listening to this in the United States of America. And we are in a unique spot. We're actually in a culture that's post-Christian. It's probably one of the most first ones, along with Europe, um, and in the history of the world. I think there's a, probably people can argue that there's other parts of the world that were um, Christians, you know, you know, in North Africa, different places along the tenth parallel, um, where they were dominantly Christian, and they're not now. And it's just a different way. We're still resident aliens but it's got a unique set of circumstances where, you know, the language of Christianity, some of its signs and symbols are still within the cultural uh, memory, uh, but less and less people are embracing them in their practical and daily and uh, theological and uh, doxological lives. And so uh, we, I think we have the same admonition. Uh, there's many people, many Christians who are tempted to retreat from the public square, uh, to retreat from uh, business uh, marketplace uh, spots along the spectrum. Uh, some Christian families are choosing to educate their young, not in uh, public schools or in state-run schools, but uh, private schools that are uniquely Christian, where there's chapel, where there's Bible reading, where there's you know Bible classes taken, take and so on and so forth. Listen, every family should choose on their own. We just need to know that in our long tradition, that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Christians should retreat and circle the wagons and only dwell among other Christians. But what we see is the pattern of behavior in the early church is to find a way to stay confessional, to stay faithful, but also stay in close proximity to those who may not agree with us. And once again, we're all sorting that out for our individual lives. I'm not trying to tell you how to live. But we have to also reckon with our story. We can't avoid it or deny it. The earliest Christians made the difficult decision of remaining as outcasts and minorities as resident aliens among those who did not agree with them. And it shaped how they did church. It shaped how they befriended people. It shaped how they worked, what they did with their money and so on and so forth. And we have such rich literature from this era of how Christians had significant outsized influence that even though they were a minority group, they're still able to have a drastic impact on society around them. And it's probably because they chose to stick around. And so that's going to be my prayer this morning is for, is for God to give us wisdom. Like, How do we negotiate this? How can I stay faithful? And how can I stay in close proximity to those who may not agree with me in order that I might be a kind and faithful witness of Jesus in this day and time? So with those things in mind, Let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we plead to you uh, during this unique shape of our life where we are given this um, interesting faith where we're given these twin admonitions to remain faithful, but also to remain close to those who may not agree with us. Um we understand that at times that can bring conflict, whether it's minor disagreements or something that's more substantial. So we also thank you for the clear call to be people of peace, uh, to be people who um, pray for our neighbors and to love our neighbors, regardless of what their ideology might be. And so, God, we just uh, plead to you once more, and we say that this is a challenging call, but it's a gracious call. And so we thank you that you meet us. where a challenge um, is with your grace and so we pray once more for us as we go to jobs and as we go to schools and as we perhaps dwell in families or, or relationships where uh, we just don't see eye to eye with the other people around us we pray that you would give us the strength uh, not to hold on to bitterness uh, but to keep short accounts um, i pray that you would empower us to be a unique type of person around a uh, watching world uh, that they would see that we are a people of great patience there were people of great generosity. There were people who forgive much because um, we love much, because we've been forgiven much, and we have been loved much. And so, God, this day I just, I just pray for our opportunities. Uh, you tell us in your word to make the most of every opportunity. We confess that at times we choose uh, perhaps comfort initially over maybe the long game of being a servant. And so, we just pray this day that you would uh, comfort us with your love, empower us by your spirit. Allow us to be those faithful witnesses who point towards the signposts of the great grace that's available to all people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.